Amen. That's good. That's good. You guys enjoyed the series so far? <laughs> I've had people texting me all week going, score. If you weren't here last week, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But we talked about sex. That's right. And you missed it. <laughs> we had a great time. We talked about sex and intimacy and sex and intimacy and intimacy and sex. And all week long, people have been saying, score. They've been sending me stuff. I'm like, wow, man, like you guys have gotten all freed up in that idea. But the good thing is this, uh, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it from last week because it's online. It's a great message. This whole series has been awesome for me personally. Now, some of you at this point, you're like, wow, where is Tracy? Like Tracy's been up there with you the last couple of weeks. Tracy is going to join me at the end today. Uh, she is the best part of this dynamic duo She's a lot better looking than I am. Uh, I love my wife to death. Let me tell you what, this has been truly an honor. This is the first time in 25 years of ministry that we've ever designed and written and done a series of messages together. And so this is the first for us, and you'll get to hear from her in just a minute. But if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. As we look into this last piece of Scripture in this idea of couples therapy. And as you're turning over there, I want to just dispel the moment for you again real quick. There's nothing freaky or bad about therapy, okay? Therapy is a good thing. We go to therapy because we want to get healthy. We go to therapy because we want to let God heal our hurts. We go to therapy because we want to be stronger. We want to get this thing down. And uh, if you're in a relationship, if you have ever been in a relationship, if you're married here today, uh, therapy is a good thing. In fact, when you get married, you begin therapy, and you spend the rest of your life learning how to love appropriately, learning how to have a healthy marriage and a healthy life. And uh, for some of you here today, you're like, man, I'm single, and after hearing this series, I don't want to ever get married. <laughs> like, that's too complex for me. Uh, you know, singleness is a gift, too. Don't ever despise the idea that in the Bible, singleness is a gift. I mean, it's a, it's a season you can't ever get back. I used to tell teenagers all the time, enjoy the gift of singleness. And uh, the juniors in my youth group would look at me like, man, what are you talking about? There's no gift to that. Like, everyone's got a date this weekend, and I'm staying at home watching C-SPAN, all right? So, uh, it's a gift, and enjoy it for what it is. But this idea that we all need relationship therapy, because we do. And I want to say this to you today. It doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, if you've been through a bad relationship, if you've got a string of great relationships that you can build off of. Every one of us need what we're going to learn today in couples therapy. Because in Colossians 3, I want to remind you, Paul is trying to tell us, and he's trying to remind us, that we don't have to love and have relationships like the culture does. I mean, like we talked about week one, we're so enthralled with who's getting married on TMZ, or we're so excited about, you know, uh, how many of y'all know George Clooney is getting married? <laughs> some of you women know that. Uh, you know, I mean, just some weird stuff. We kind of look at other people's relationships because we think something's missing in ours. And that's not the way that we're supposed to view relationships. Now, I want to tell you why we're picking on marriage during this series. Because marriage is kind of like that micro, that little uh, magnifying glass that I had when I was seven and eight years old. When I was growing up in Oklahoma, during the August summer heat, we would take a magnifying glass. And we'd shine it down and we'd get the sun right on it. And it would light a fire on the grass and we'd start a grass fire. That's what you did in my hometown when you were growing up. And it's like, hey, we started three grass fires today. Marriage is kind of like the magnifying glass of this whole series. Because when you get married, this idea of couples therapy and relationship gets magnified within the context of marriage. So I want us to read the word of God today, Colossians 3, starting with verse 15. The Bible says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Look at verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And then look at verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through it. There's three specific things I want us to dive into today as we talk from this last last message in our couples therapy series. And here's what I know today. I know that through this series, there has been a lot of baggage that has come up in people's relationships. In fact, many people have emailed me. They've talked to me in between uh, ser- sermons and messages and stuff like that. And they're like, Sean, I am really struggling because I am the victim of a lot of bad relationships. Like, I I have not dated well. Like, me and my spouse, we don't get along. We've been married, but we really don't have a home. All we have is chaos. And we've got these two children, holy and terror. And they live in our home too. And, uh, I mean, that's like the strife that they're dealing with. And, And even some of you as parents, you know, you're trying to parent your child and you're trying to figure this whole thing out. And like, this is what so and so's parents doing. And so and so, I don't know how to parent my kid. You ever just feel dumb sometimes as a parent and, and as a spouse? I do. So there's all this baggage that comes into our idea of relationships, and we have to deal with it. And at some point, we have to say, where do we find the right place in all this? Like, where do we find real help and real hope? I think Paul, because he was trying to instruct us, gave us three key things that we need to look at today if we are truly, truly going to move on in our relationships. The first one is this. We have to let peace rule our past. We have to let peace rule our past. You see, some of us, when it comes to relationships, we let our past rule our peace. We look back and say, because I've had all these things happen to me in my life, I I don't really think that I'll ever have peace with my past. And we kind of look at it like a scorecard, like I've had four bad episodes here and three bad episodes here. For some of us in this room, we've been abused. Like as a child or as a teenager, somebody abused us in a relationship. We were manipulated. And we go, I've never healed from that. But Paul here in the scripture tells us something very important. Because he starts with a very key word, and the word is let. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. See, here's what I know. I have to be willing to put him, Christ, over my past and my present. Sometimes we act in life as if our circumstances are bigger than God. Sometimes in life we act as if our past is bigger than God. If I'm going to get this right in the area of relationships, it starts with letting peace rule your past. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Even in regards to abuse, even in regards to mistakes, even in regards to divorce, and maybe something someone else did against you. We're gonna talk about that more later. But I want you to hear this statement. You can't live in your present reality according to your past. How many of you guys have ever moved like to a new town or a new city before in your life, all right? Like you've been to a new city. You remember how when you moved, 
the place you moved from, you missed the stores and the gas station you filled up at, and you went to the same restaurants, and then you moved to a new city, and it's like really hard. Like, you got to start all over again. Like, you got to even know which gas pump to use, you know, at the QT. I mean, you get used to the stupidest things. But the truth is, here's what we all try to do. We try to operate in our present according to our past. And I want to tell you what, in relationships, that can be very toxic. That can be very toxic. Why? Because if you operate in your relationships according to your past, you will tend to believe that that is your reality. And it's not. You can't live in your present reality according to your past. Because here's the truth today. If I am in Christ and Christ is my life, then Christ has forgiven me. And truth be told, when Christ died on the cross, he even forgave the people who did things against you. It starts with understanding we have to let peace rule our past. He wants you to feel and be forgiven so that you can be free from your past and live free. He also wants you to be at peace with where he has you in your present. I am blown away by the people I meet. They're looking for an exit strategy when it comes to their relationships. Hey, man, if, if he doesn't do what I need him to do, then I will find someone else who will do what I need him to do. Really? Is that your exit strategy? The idea that if one person can't meet your needs, you're going to keep trying to find another sinner who can meet your needs and another sinner who can meet your needs and another. Man, you're going to be so sad. You're going to be so sorry. You're going to look 30 years down the road and go, nobody, what's wrong with these people? They're sinners just like you. But here's what happens. We have to make a shift. And when we make a shift and we let the peace of Christ rule us, it doesn't matter about our past anymore. And truth be told, it really doesn't matter about our present. Listen, some of you are in marriages right now. You're looking for a way out. You're probably hoping on coming on Sunday morning, he'll give me a reason why I should divorce her or I should let go of him. Let me tell you what, I'm not. I'm gonna tell you that Christ wants to transform your marriage and the way that it begins to transform is when you let the peace of Christ rule you. Here's a great, great truth I learned years ago in my life. We have to learn to love people for who they are, not who we want them to be. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love you for who you're not? He loves you for who you are. See, our relationships begin to have the peace of Christ when we begin to love each other out of that different viewpoint, not for who they are and not for who they, we want them to be. We love them because we choose to love them. So here's what Paul's saying. We're supposed to have the peace of Christ. He says, let the peace of Christ rule. How do you do that? How do you make that practical? Well, we talked about it week one. We said, I have to set my mind and my heart on Christ and get it off myself and off of my spouse. And when I do so, something different happens in my life. Look at Isaiah 26.3. This is one of the greatest passages on peace I've ever read. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on my spouse, the girl I'm dating, my best friend, 
No, on me, on God. He says, I can keep you in perfect peace when your mind is fixed on me. God's word is clear to us that we can let the peace of Christ rule over our past and over our present. But the key word is the word let. Let. Let it rule. And then Paul goes on to say something a little crazy here because it's one of those moments in Scripture where you read it and he kind of says it real quick because he says, let the peace of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Send as members of one body you were called to, be pe- to have peace. And then he says, and be thankful. And be thankful. That's one of those moments in Scripture we read through and we forget. What does it mean to be thankful? It means that we no longer keep a list of each other's wrongs. But we learn to start keeping a list of each other's rights. It's hard at first, but it's something you have to practice. So we need to practice thankfulness. We need to let the peace of Christ rule our past. And then we need to start practicing thankfulness. Can I tell you one of the greatest antidotes to entitlement in your life and my life? The idea that somebody owes me something is when I start practicing thankfulness. It doesn't matter what relationship you're in, not just marriage. It can be dating. It can be friendships. When you think somebody owes you anything, you're going to have struggles in your relationship. We need to start practicing thankfulness. We need to start creating a list of the good things people do and be thankful for the good things they do. It's not like a balancing act, like, hey, you've done seven bad and you've done five good, but the five good were the five I really wanted, so it's going to outweigh. That's not how it works. I mean, that, that, that's a stupid way to love, okay? God wants us to be smarter than that because he wants us to learn to practice thankfulness. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says it this way. Talking about love, it does not honor or dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. I was talking about this with our staff team this week, and one of them looked at me and said, so Sean, basically, when Christ is your life and you're letting peace rule your heart, it's really hard to offend a believer. I said, yeah, you're right, because they don't keep any record of wrongs. How could I ever keep a record of wrong when I look at the list that Jesus forgave me for? It says it keeps no record of wrongs. It practices thankfulness. You know, the truth about this is we always praise things in life that we think are good and right. We do. If we think something's good in our relationship, we'll praise our spouse about it. If we think something's wrong, (laughs) we don't praise them. We criticize them. So I want to tell you, it takes practice. It's not something you're going to wake up on Tuesday morning and go, man, I just feel like thanking everybody. I feel like thanking everybody. It's not true. You've got to begin to practice it. He says, when the peace of Christ rules you, then you can start practicing thankfulness. And let me tell you this. When you start practicing thankfulness in relationships, you will be the most desired person in any home. You will be the most desired person in any organization. You will be the most desired person in your neighborhood. Why? Because you're not keeping a list of everyone's wrongs anymore. You're keeping a list of the things that you know that are right. 
keeping the right list, not the wrong list. It's not just about studying your spouse's favorites either. You know, many times we think being thankful is, I'm just gonna remember all the favorite things I love that he does or the favorite things that she does. Here's what it is. It's finding favor in the little things they do well. What is it they do well? I mean, I remember the first time I took out the trash <laughs> and Tracy looked at me and she said, that's the most romantic thing you've ever done. I mean, I was heading towards a score. <laughs> the truth is, it's not about all the things that you're keeping a list of wrong. Practice thankfulness. Let the peace of Christ rule you. I was reading a book not too long ago. It's a book by a leadership guy. It's called Fill Their Buckets. Listen to what he says. He says, for every one negative thing a person hears in their lives, they must hear seven positive things to cancel it out. It's true. Why? Because in our culture, we don't practice thankfulness. Last week, we used the phrase, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Thankfulness comes out of our identity in Christ and our willingness to slay our entitlement. Nobody owes me anything. Even my spouse. My spouse doesn't owe me anything. My boyfriend doesn't owe me anything. I choose to practice thankfulness. And then he makes this phrase in the next verse. He talks about the word of God and he says this. He says, and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. In that passage, here's what God tells us, and it's the third thing I want you to write down. We need to let peace rule our past. We need to begin to practice thankfulness in our relationships, and then we've got to let God's word own us. As long as you allow somebody else to own you, you will never have the peace of Christ. Let the word of God own you. Let God's word own you. That word dwell means this. It means to live in or be at home at. It's the idea that you've hunkered down. You settled in it. You're not waffling to look for someone else's opinion. You've got the right opinion. And then he says, not only to dwell in it, he says, but dwell in it richly. Look at this word. It means abundantly or extravagantly rich in something. It's the idea that, that when it comes to your relationships, you're so hunkered down in God's word and you're richly in God's word to the point that nobody else can affect you. And listen, that's hope for some of us in this room because we've come into this room scattered and battered and hurt by so many other people. Let it dwell in you richly. It should flow into our lives and our homes. And some of you go, I don't get that. Well, let me give you this illustration. Many times when it comes to the words of Christ or when it comes to God's word, we treat it more like a fire extinguisher than we do like a home security system. I mean, we get into our relationships, our marriage, our friendships, and we're walking around going, hey man, you treated me bad. I'm gonna pull out God's word here. And our relationships are like that. I mean, we're pulling it out and... I mean, it looked like the beginning of an NFL football team coming on the field. God's word is not our fire extinguisher when the little flames pop up in life. It's the home security system. You punch in the code and you go to bed at night. Why? Because you're richly dwelling in it. 
It owns you. It owns you. And there's a big difference. God wants his word to own us. We don't just reach for it in a crisis. We activate it daily for our peace. I have peace today because I am letting God's word own me. You know, throughout this whole series, we challenged you through one chapter of Scripture, through Colossians 3. And let me say this. If you didn't get one of the cards week one for you to go home and pray through as a couple, I encourage you to stop by our guest services counter, pick one of those up, or just get out your Bible. Start sitting down as a couple and praying through Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and see what God does in your marriage. Why? Because God's word activates our lives daily to experience peace. And it stands guard over our lives and our relationships. So let the peace of Christ rule your past. Begin to practice thankfulness. And let the word of God own you. Let it own you. So I want to talk about these four words real quick. Abuse, divorce, addiction, and adultery. Because I can tell you this, throughout this series, I've had a lot of people ask me questions. Here's one of the questions they ask me all the time. What if I'm the only one taking out the trash in the relationship? What, what, what if my spouse isn't willing to change? What if they're the one that's looking for the exit strategy? What do I do? I mean, they're, they're, this person's going to walk away from me. I, I get that. Some people say, my spouse is addicted to this, and they continue to act this way. I've heard that a lot. There's a lot of addictions in relationships. I've heard people come up to me and say, Sean, I'm being abused. What do I do? I'm being abused verbally. I'm being abused physically. I mean, there's a lot of things I can tell you, and every one of those are real struggles, and every one of those are real issues. But I want to hear you, I want you to hear me say this. All my advice wrapped up in one in a cute box will never give you the advice and the source that you need that's bigger than letting God's word own you. God's word is what gives us wisdom to navigate every one of those questions. I hear people say all the time, well, doesn't God hate divorce? Yeah, he sure does. And he also hates gluttony. And he also hates a lying tongue. And he also hates greed. So what rank do you want to put those in? <laughs> but what do we do? We look to the world and let the world give us our value on all these things. And we can't do that. we got to let the word of God be our guide, not the wisdom of man, not what other people tell us to do. So let me ask you this question. What type of wisdom should we seek when it comes to these matters? We better be seeking the right wisdom. Here's why. Let me give you an example. If we seek wisdom from someone who's been wounded or wrong, they are going to give us the wrong wisdom or man's wisdom. You say, how do you know that? For this simple phrase right here, hurt people, hurt people. Let me, you say, I don't believe that. No, if this is true, let me how you know this, okay? You go to a restaurant and the service is like way slow, and the food is like way bad, what do you do? You get on your phone and 140 characters or less talk about how no one should ever go to that restaurant again. You've been hurt. You have been wounded. <laughs> I feel your pain, man. Your latte didn't make it in a minute and a half on the shelf, right? 
Dear Starbucks, please fire the barista at so-and-so store. What is that? Hurt people hurt people. You need to be careful giving wisdom to people who've been so deeply hurt because they will turn around and continue the cycle of hurting other people. You see, that's why we need couples therapy. We need to get so healthy in our relationships that we can identify this next phrase. Healed people heal people. People who are letting God's word own them, who the peace of Christ rules them, they're practicing thankfulness. Those are the types of people you want a relationship advice from, right? You say, I don't know, Sean. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you would go to a gym and hire a 500-pound trainer? Hey, man, I was wanting to know if you could help me lose 20 pounds. Really? Now, I'm not making light of that. I'm not making fun of people. I mean, that's not the goal. I'm trying to give you the perspective. It's kind of like this. When I was younger, my parents used to say this all the time because there would be rumors going around my school. Hey, did you know so-and-so did this, so-and-so did this? And my dad, he was so wise, he would only utter things that were of profound nature. He would look at me and he'd say, boy, you need to consider the source. Consider the source. Why would I look to someone who's been so deeply wounded for relationship advice when I can go to God's word and it can own me and it can give me the peace of Christ and it can help me practice greater thankfulness in my life? We gotta be careful when it comes to that because hurt people hurt people and healed people heal people. And so here's the type of wisdom we need. It's in James 3. Look what it says. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, not from your best friend on Facebook, is first of all pure, Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's the type of wisdom. You see, man's wisdom, whether we realize it or not, will always lead back to serving ourselves and create bitterness, envy, and strife. Why? Because we love ourselves more than we love anything else. So if you've been out of a bad relationship and a girl comes up to you and says, hey, I need some relationship advice, you know, my boyfriend's doing this. Well, girl, let me tell you, I would never let a man because I've been, I mean, that's like rolling up your arm and saying, hey, look, I cut my right arm off. You want to see it bleed? That's what it's like. And we shouldn't do that. Godly wisdom, according to James here, We'll always bring willingness to change our behavior. Why? Because we're basing it on the peace of Christ and the word of God. Let God's word own you. So this idea is that somehow I'm going to have to have somebody to complete me. You know, we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. That goes back to the idea that I need man's wisdom over God. And I want to say this to you. No matter if it's abuse, adultery, addiction, Whatever it is, every circumstance is different. So the person who runs up to you and says, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. No, they don't. They don't. The Bible says in Proverbs, every heart knows its own sorrow. So for you to walk up and say, oh, I've been through this before. I've been through two divorces. I know exactly what you need to do to him. No, they don't. They have no idea. Let the word of Christ own you. Because here's what happens. When we begin to worship our spouse, we will eventually demonize our spouse. When we begin to worship our boyfriend or girlfriend, we will eventually demonize them. Why? Because we're sinners. And we keep looking for somebody else 
to fill that in us, and it's not going to happen. So Paul says this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you do two things. I love this. He says, teach and admonish. Teach and admonish. What does that mean? We challenge each other spiritually. God did not give me the spouse I have so I would be happy, satisfied, and she would agree with every single thing I did in life. Can I get an amen from the men in the house? <laughs> Some of you are like, I got, I got the defective one. Because all she wants to do is criticize me <laughs> and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Listen, this word here when Paul says teach and admonish each other, it means to spiritually challenge each other. There's going to be sparks in your relationships. And not just intimate sparks. There's going to be relationship sparks of you guys learning to challenge each other spiritually. And then he goes on to say this. Learn to sing. He says, as you sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart. Part of a great relationship therapy that we need to get to is the place when we can actually begin to write a song over the people that we say we love. I mean, can you imagine the peace it takes to sit down and say, these words are the deepest part of my soul. That's what a song is. He says, sit down and learn to sing these things over. Why? Because you're experiencing emotions of gratitude and grace. And the truth is, God wants us to have grace and gladness towards one another. Not chaos and anger and bitterness. So he says, challenge each other spiritually. Learn to sing over each other. Not so that you get what you want, but so that you build the other person up. So then in verse 17, Paul says this. Whatever you do, this is kind of like the moment, right? In the scripture. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. We've got to let peace rule our past. We've got to begin to practice thankfulness, not because they do it all right, but because we choose to show them favor. We've got to let the word of God own us, because when it owns us, nobody else can own us. And when we do that, I believe we will see what we talked about in week one. We will begin to have a God-centered view in all of our relationships, and this is it, to glorify God and point others to him. I mean, there's a lot of things in life that don't make sense. Men and women, we don't make sense to each other. I mean, we look at each other, and, and, and we, we focus on all of our differences. We focus on all the things. Listen, we got to end that. When Christ is my life, my spouse is no longer the reason for my strife. Throughout this whole series, we've asked you to go back to the word of God and let it begin to own you in your relationships. Man, I challenge you, let that happen in your life. You know, I had a real defining moment as a, as a young married guy. Tracy and I, early on in our marriage, went through a season where she was physically ill. And we had gone and seen a bunch of doctors. Nobody was giving us any help. And you know how when, when your spouse or you're in a relationship with someone and one of you's sick and the other person's not sick and you're, it just pulls you apart. I mean, it's hard. You can't do anything about it. You can't get to the right doctors. You can't get to the right medicines. And, and, and it was just one of those seasons where I was really, really down. 
And I decided that I was gonna go to one of the wisest men in our church there in Fayetteville, Arkansas and ask him to meet with me and I just needed godly counsel. So I invited this guy to lunch. He met me at Chili's that day. We sat down and I began to share with him all that we were going through. I said, man, we've been to all these doctors. We're struggling here. We're doing this, it's not working. And he listened to me for probably a good 45 minutes. He just let me pour it out. And this man was in his early 70s. And he turned around and he said something that profoundly changed my relationship with Tracy. He said, Sean, if your wife never gets better, are you still gonna choose to love her? You see, I wanted all the consolation. I wanted people to give me relationship advice. You know, you just need to do this. She needs to do that. Y'all need to work on this, blah, 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 blah. That's what we want. We want tips, tricks, and techniques. Let me tell you what that guy gave me. He gave me truth. Because I stood up at that booth at Chili's and I made one of the defining decisions in my life. And here's the decision. God, if you never heal my wife, I choose to love her, not for who she's not, but for who she is in you. Radically changed our life and our marriage. That's a real story. And we have shared a lot of fun and silly things through the sermon series. But the one thing we want you to know is that our marriage has been tested. And it is tested each day. We make a choice. I was a junior in college the first time I read the book of Colossians. Sean and I knew each other, but we were not dating. We were both single. And he was also reading the Bible through at that time. And the verse we didn't cover are those two that are really famous, you know, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And I had just been taught to look at what comes before that. So I did. And that's when I started looking at what 1 through 17 says. And I want to tell you I'm so thankful for a husband who's sensitive to God and to his spirit. Because he wrestled over what do I do during this series and do I want to be that personal because this message this passage is very personal to us we decided as a couple to build our relationship on the things that we have shared with you at our wedding this passage was read it was prayed over us and it is engraved on the inside of Sean's ring and we make a determination because we both know we love ourselves more than we love each other. And we have to choose and ask these questions of ourselves. Is Christ my life? Do I want to get rid of my own trash? Am I willing to look at my own stuff and my own sin 
And when I look at all those S words so that I can have real intimacy, and do I have peace in my heart? I am thankful for my husband. It would have been very easy for him to do this series without me. But thank you for including me. And it is our sole desire as a couple and as individuals to choose Christ first so that we can love each other and that God will get the glory. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it shapes us, it directs us, it gives us hope. It guides us, it can own us in a way that we can withstand even abuse, even all the shames of our past, anything that has been done against us. Lord, your peace is bigger than that. Lord, I pray for the person that's here today. The piece of their relationship that's missing is you. And Lord, they're here trying to still figure out how they can fix themselves or how they can fix their spouse. Lord, you want to change them through a relationship with your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray over the next few moments that you would guard our hearts, our minds, that you would help us to respond to you in a way that is worthy of who you are, Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, all over this room, if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with God, we said it last week, real intimacy begins with him. It really doesn't begin in a bedroom. It really doesn't begin with a first kiss. It begins with looking at a cross and realizing how much God loved you, that he would send his only son to die for you so that you could not only be forgiven, but you could have healing, that you could have hope, that you could have a future and abundancy of life. And so if you've never made that decision before, we wanna invite you before you leave here today to give your life to Christ. So with our heads about and our eyes closed, if that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear Jesus, I thank you that you died for me on the cross. I thank you that you rose again on the third day. And Jesus, I believe that you did that because you loved me. And so today, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life to forgive my sin and to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Jesus, I give you the control of my life, and I want to have a relationship with you that is like no other. Jesus, thank you for saving me today. 